been along this journey in looking at the church doing life together. I'm excited about what's coming up next week. Really thankful for your participation and your generosity, homes and cars and all kinds of help, and I'm truly thankful. I want to give a special thanks, too, to my dear friend Lynn Philpott, who's running the uh, projection today as he had to work through some uh, challenges in our PowerPoint. He spent the morning doing that. A lot of times we don't realize how much is going on in the background. Lynn will probably kill me later for mentioning him, but a lot of stuff has to get done in the background for the short time that we do get to be here. There's a lot of things that come together, and I'm really thankful for the folks who labor behind the scenes and keep it all together for us. Uh, We come into this today having talked about how the church was born. And we broke that into three pieces when we started. And it was first that the church was brought together by Jesus. We're going to focus a little bit on that today. But we know that Jesus in John 10 said that his sheep hear his voice and they follow him. So there's this call that Jesus gives and brings us to him. We also saw that the church was born together by the Holy Spirit. That This was not just an audible work where we audibly heard a voice, but it was a supernatural work where the Holy Spirit granted to us the conviction of sin, the convincing that we needed a Savior, the conversion that brought us to the Savior, and that wonderful consequence of godliness from Him inhabiting us as His people. And so we're thankful for that. And Jesus brought us together, the Holy Spirit birthed us together, but we also learned that the church was bound together by their continual devotion. Their commitment, because of following Jesus and because of the new birth, their commitment to shared fellowship, Men and women, boys and girls, gathering to worship and laboring together to evangelize and working together to love one another. This was the product of Jesus' call and the product of the Holy Spirit's conversion. And so they bound themselves together to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to the breaking of bread, and to true fellowship with one another. Now, as we proceeded, we learned that the church was entrusted with the gospel. And that as we were entrusted with it, we had to be very careful that it didn't turn into legalism by trying to make people like us or follow a set of rules. Nor did it turn into licentiousness by saying, well, because Jesus will forgive you, you can do whatever you want to. And we also learned that in getting that right, we had to identify with our community, our culture. And we had to realize that God had planted us inside a culture. We're in the Pineville, Ball, Grant, Alexandria, DeVille, Gardner sector of Sinlaw. And here we are, God has planted us in a particular culture. And we need to know that culture and identify with it first by making sure we don't over do things by so separating ourselves that we under-adapt to the culture. A lot of folks think so much about separation and isolation that they withdraw from the culture, have no contact with it, and therefore never evangelize. Only stand in uh, condemnation and critique 
We also learned another truth, and that was we can't overadapt. We can't make the mistake that other denominations and other churches have done by embracing sin and okaying it as a part of sort of trying to reach the culture by identifying, by embracing what the culture does. So we had to find this sweet spot between embracing sinful lifestyles and loving the culture without withdrawing from it to such a degree that we have no contact with it. So we struggled with that, and we talked about how next we had a message and a mission called movement. And that movement is to bring the gospel to the culture. And that movement has to balance itself first by not going so far in structure and tradition that we fail to connect with people. The problem is is that if we get too caught in structure and tradition, people always feel like they're outsiders, excluded, don't understand. And those structures and traditions can become ends rather than means. But we also found out that if you go to the other end of the spectrum, you become too fluid and anti-traditional and too outward focused and that there had to be a balance. We finally found out in all of this that Jesus had given us one job, one specific job. When he sent the disciples out in Acts 1.8, he said, you're my witnesses. You are my witnesses. And therefore, you are the guys who are going to be the movement. You're the ones that are going to bring the gospel to the culture, and you're going to do this by being witnesses. And you notice right there in that middle circle, one more click, Lynn, we said that the way that gospel is brought to culture is witnesses. So you're a witness. I'm a witness. That's our primary job. Through it, we give glory to God through Jesus Christ. Through it, we carry out the mission. But we are witnesses. God has placed us here. This is why He doesn't just take us to heaven right after we get saved. If the only goal was to get us to heaven, we kind of get saved and God to kind of poof and you're gone. But He leaves us here for a season. We don't know how long that season is, but He leaves us here for a season from the time that we come to Christ until that time we have that upward call of God. He leaves us here to be witnesses so that the folks who are not a part of God's family can hear the message and become part of God's family. And so we are the movement. And so today, I want to focus on a particular word that identifies the church. Now, if you want to have some fun in word study, how many of you kind of do some word study in your Bible on occasion? Raise your hand up if you do that. Okay, so some folks do that. This is a fun word study. Do a study on the word called. You can search call or calling or called and do a study on it because it, it, it's, it's a beautiful word and we're going to look at it today. But there's a particular reason we're going to study this word It's the word that identifies the church in the New Testament. Now, I'm going to go technical for a second, not so that you can just think in terms of technicalities. I'm going to go technical because what I want to explain has a meaning behind it 
that I think is important for us. So let's let's go technical. When when the New Testament uses the word church, it's almost always translated church in the New Testament. It's using a, a term from Greek language in Greek culture that is the union of two words. The first word is a little prefix, ek. Sometimes ex. We use it. We exhale, don't we? What does it mean to exhale? It means to breathe which way? Which way? Out. So ex means out. And so when this Greek word was used, the first part of the word is ek or ex. It means out. So we got half of it. Out. Like the word exhale. What's the opposite of exhale? Inhale. It's breathing in. So there's out and there's in. We, we use it in a different form, input and output. We don't use the EX, but we use the same idea. Input, in, output, out. Well, the next part of this Greek word, first part is ek or X, which means out. The next part of the word is very important for understanding is the word to call. So when they said the word church, they were saying the called out people. So the very first thing we need to understand about this calling is that we are called out. We're called out. This is that calling that Jesus has when he is in John 10, calling his sheep out of the world to himself. He's calling them out of something. So when Jesus makes that call in John 10, My sheep hear my voice and they follow me, they're being called out of the world. Out of the mass of humanity. Out of the sinful, fallen Reign of this present darkness. Out of darkness into light. So, the very word that the New Testament most frequently uses for church is just a simple word called out. So that when they said church back then, they didn't think of buildings. They didn't think of institutions. They didn't think of structures. They thought of a group of people who had been called out of the norm of society into an abnormal existence. They'd been called out of the masses and into a select, very privileged, very important group. Now, when the Greeks used this term, they used it for two things in their common culture. The first, they used it for a public meeting. And folks would run through the neighborhood kind of doing a Paul Revere kind of thing, and they would announce that there was a public meeting. And so the adults would come out of their houses, they were called out of their houses, and they would come together 
for like a town meeting. Maybe there was an emergency. Maybe there was a war threat. Maybe there was some kind of need. But they were called out. So they would come out of their homes and they would gather somewhere like a town hall. As that progressed, they actually began calling their town council the ecclesia. That select group of people called out from among the town people who would minister and administrate to take care of the town. And so in Greek culture, this word had great meaning because it always meant out of, and it always meant together, and it always meant privilege. If you were called out as a citizen, it was a privilege to be a Roman citizen. If you were called out as a council member, it was a privilege to be in charge of citizens. And so in the New Testament, when they lifted that term and applied it to the church, they understood that it meant the church was very special, very significant, very privileged, very important. And so they didn't think of the meeting place, they thought of the meeting people. And remember, the New Testament was launched with no budget and no buildings. And the world was changed. Not by a structure, not by cash flow, but by a group of people who understood they had been called out. Now this idea is reflected in 2 Corinthians 6. Let me take you there for a moment. In 2 Corinthians 6... 14, this unique calling was emphasized by Paul. And the reason it was emphasized by Paul here is he was emphasizing the distinction of the church, the uniqueness, the holiness, the purity. So he says in 2 Corinthians 6, 14, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light? With darkness, or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate. This is the understanding of the church. We were called out of the sinful, the fallen mass of humanity, and we were called together. And so the very first understanding of church is it is a group of people, not a place, who were called together out of the world. It went further. They were not only called out, they were called together. They were called together. When the word ecclesia was first used in Greek culture, it meant out of, but it also meant together. They would come out of their houses and they'd get together at the meeting hall or at the specific place. The town council had a set place that they would come out of their homes and meet together at. And so implied in it, it's not just an out of, but a togetherness. God has called us to a kind of togetherness. We call it fellowship. The fellowship is not common interests. It's not 
guys that like to hunt, hanging out with guys that like to hunt. It's not ladies who enjoy crafts, hanging out with ladies who enjoy crafts. It's not people who love fitness, hanging out with people who love fitness. That's not fellowship. Fellowship is a living togetherness that transcends culture. It transcends preference. It's the kind of thing that Jesus was doing when He gets all those disciples together in the upper room. you got Simon the Zealot, who would love to have started a revolution to overthrow the government. You've got, on the other end of the, the spectrum, this very deeply entrenched Peter in Hebrew culture. And Jesus gathers him and he says, you know, here's what I want you to do. Wash each other's feet. Watch me. And he does this act and he says, this act transcends where you came from. It transcends your origin, your birth your societal class privilege. It transcends all of this. Fellowship transcends all of our differences and binds us together by a living entity called the Holy Spirit. What brings you to me and me to you and us to each other is not mutual interests, not mutual habits, not mutual likes and dislikes but a mutual living being who has chosen by His grace to inhabit your heart and my heart. So that what comes together in worship is not all of our desires and all of our wishes. What comes together is a living entity living in each of us, drawing us together, not for the sake of each other, but for the sake of the gospel and the king and the kingdom. This living entity allows us in our togetherness to lose our preferences and our self-interest and to be swallowed up in the gospel itself. And so when the word church was used, the ecclesia, they understood that that meant that they were called out but that they were also called together and that there was a specific purpose in their togetherness. When we come together for worship, we have to be very careful that we do not bring in all of our preferences, all of our desires, all of our own self-interests, that we come together and be absorbed in the interest of the gospel, the interest of the king and the kingdom. So, we're drawn together, and you see the arrows are together around one object, and that is Christ. This calling of the church is very important because it qualifies you for some things. If you come in here today and... and and you said, what's the, what's, the, what's the big deal about being called? I mean, 
What's up with that? Is there, is there some significance that we really ought to rally around? I want to take you to a verse that would just maybe give you a hint of it, and that is Romans 8. Come, come with me to Romans 8 for a moment. Now, we all have favorite verses. I have a favorite chapter, Romans 8. And some of my favorite verses are in there. I, I think that Romans 8 is just so beautiful and rich. But there is a verse that we really count on in Romans 8. Who knows what that verse is? We're, we're, we're using it a lot. What is it? You said it. 828. Because it's one of these confidence-building verses. It's one of these guarantees. It's one of these things that we say, boy, I can rely on that. And it is a promise and a reality. Romans 828 says, God works all things together for good. Stop there for a minute because it is then specifically applied. It doesn't say for everyone. It doesn't. It doesn't say God works everything good good together for good. Every, he works all things together for good for everyone. No, He, he, he specifically notes who these people are that He's working good for. Who are they? The called. This means that in your calling, there is a privilege guarantee. That when you are the called, when you are the one who has heard the voice of the shepherd, and you have followed him, you stand in a group that has been called out, that has been called together, but that holds a privilege that no one else has. And that is that if you are the called, that in every single thing, in every single moment, God is working for your good. It is an identifier of His people to be called the called. It is a group of people who've come out of the world. They've come together in Christ. They've heard the shepherd's voice. They've been born of the Spirit. And God says to that group, here is an undeniable, unchangeable promise. He's working. When we talk about the church, we're talking about a group of people that have been called out, that have been called together. There's more. They are then called upon. You? Me? Yes. When He called you out and He called you together, He actually called upon you. He, he called upon you and said, you have a job to do. You shall be my witnesses. Not they. I always get a little uncomfortable when I'm having a conversation with somebody and they say, in reference to the church, they say, they. And they're supposed to be a part of the church. If you're part of the church, there's not a they. It's we. It's us. 
You can't back up from the group now and go, that them, they. It's us. It's we. And we have been called upon. We have been given a task. The task has been given to us. The evangelization of the globe has been given to the church. That's why Jesus hasn't called us home yet. We still have a job for which we have been called upon to carry out. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with y'all always. That's a y'all there. Even until the end of the age. So not only has God called us out of the world to leave our sinful ways, to leave the sinful habits and the fallenness around us and to come together in worship and true fellowship with Him and with each other. But He's also called upon us and He's given us an assignment. And He said, You shall be my witnesses. So wherever we go, that's what we are. It's not what we ought to be, it's what we are. If we're claiming the name of Jesus, then we're witnessing in some way by everything we do, either to His glory or not. But we are His witnesses. We are testifying to what He is worth, what He is like, what He desires. That's what our life is carrying out. And so we're called upon, each one of us individually and the church corporately and the church globally have been called upon with this glorious, glorious task. Evangelization of the world. That's your job. That's my job. It's our job. Not their job. Not them up at the church. They're going to take care of that. It's we. It's us. It's our responsibility. But He didn't leave it there. When you think through Jesus' method, He walks out and He calls these disciples... And they hear His voice and they come out of the world together to Him. And then He lays upon them the calling of global evangelism. And then He says, As the Father sent Me, so send I you. And therefore we are now called into all of the cultures of the world to bring the gospel back to them. To bring the good news of the redeeming love of God, the grace that forgives sinners, the grace that transforms the most wretched, the grace that sets us free because of the cross of Jesus Christ. We're called back into the world. So in a sense, every church gathering is just a redo of what Jesus does with us in the big picture. He calls us out of our homes on Sunday to come together and worship. He calls us out and calls us together. And then through the preaching of the Word, He calls upon us. And then we say the last Amen and He sends us right back out into the very world He saved us out of. And He says, go. And you make disciples of all of them. 
You evangelize your neighbor and your coworker and your child and your parent and your spouse and your brother and your sister. You evangelize the nations and the neighborhoods. I'm sending you out. And so each week is simply a very small microcosm of the great big event of salvation so that it's refreshed in our minds and hearts every week in corporate worship where He calls us out of the world. He calls us together. He calls upon us. And then He calls us right back out into the very world we were saved from. And every week we rehearse it. We remind ourselves. We refresh ourselves. Coming together, we worship Him. Going out, we worship Him. And so we do this as a work of reminder. We take the Lord's Supper together as a reminder. We sing the songs as a reminder. We pray because it's a reminder that we're dependent upon Him. We preach because it's a reminder of what His Word says and commands us to do. And so this is, today, a refresher course for what our life is really about. And that's why we can't isolate this hour and a half. You'll get that from everything else. We can't. And if we are, we are so dysfunctional, it's not funny. If this is different than what we are outside, then it's useless. God is not to be toyed with. And if we come in here and represent ourselves as something that we're not out there, God will show it. And so, think about this. Here's Jesus. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. He calls us out. He calls around the shepherd. They follow me. They're with me. He calls upon them, go and preach this gospel. And He sends them as the Father sent me, so send I you. And so we're doing that, and that's why we're here today. To make sure that we really understand that and what it means and how glorious it is to be the called out people. To be the privileged group. And I don't want to think of that in terms of a privilege we can't share and give away but a privilege that we want to share and give away because God is inviting everybody to that. He's drawing them through the preaching of the Gospel. So, it's a refresher course. It's a reminder. He's called us into a relationship with Him and each other, into fellowship with Him and each other. But with that is a stewardship. This is important. Because we have to understand that accountability is coming. That's why I love small groups. Small groups and personal discipleship allows you a kind of accountability that kind of gets you ready for the fact that we're going to stand in front of Jesus and give an account. And so being together in a small group, we get together and we say, man, how are you doing on that thing you were struggling with? You realize sometime in your future you're going to stand in front of Jesus and have to talk about this? How about we work on it now? How about we deal with it today? Because I don't think you want to be in front of Jesus not having worked this out. So let's talk about it together as a small group of believers who love each other, 
who are all sinful and understand the struggles. And let's encourage one another through this accountability. That's why I love small groups. Because it allows us that personal, down-home level, face-to-face with some folks who are bold enough to say, how are you doing with that? You got that, you got that straight yet? That's a benefit the church gives each other through that. Here's why. We need to take all this other stuff seriously. Because there's a day when we're called up. Every one of us are going to give an account of ourselves to God. All of us. The Bible says in Romans chapter 2 that our mouths will be shut at that time. In other words, there will be no excuses. We give an account. When I was a kid, we would sing songs in church about the second coming of Jesus. Um, Jesus is coming soon, morning or night. Help me, Karen Blackwell. Morning or night or noon, sinners will meet their doom. We used to sing that. And when we sang it, I was about seven years old, and I'm sitting there going... And I was like Barney Fife and Shakiest Gun in the West. I mean, I'm like, whoa, that's real. Do we realize that we're going to be called up? And there's no escaping that. And we're going to give an account of every word. Jesus said every word that a man says he will give an account of on the day of judgment. That means the secret stuff. And this accounting is serious. Listen to it in, in 2 Corinthians because there's something about this that seems to be very negative and very positive at the same time. So join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where Paul talks about it, this being called up idea. Here's what he says. Now, it, it, Paul, Paul gives it in two pictures. He gives it in one of a true longing when we are living right. This is interesting. Paul pictures the person who is living right in Christ to be so suffering from the persecution of the world because of their right living, that they groan for the arrival of Jesus. It's it's like the the kid who's at football camp and and the the coach says, I'll tell you what, we're going to run laps until your mama gets here. Man, you're running, you're going, man, I hope mom's early today. And you run because you're waiting on her to get there because she's going to deliver you from some kind of strain. I'm afraid today Christians are more like people on the beach wanting the sun not to go around and the surf not to, to go out so that they can finish playing so Jesus don't come and interrupt us. It's because we've mixed 
up our purpose for being here. And so there is not vibrant in the church today a longing for Jesus' return. You go to Iran, there is. You go to Indonesia, there is. You go to the house churches in China, there is. There's a longing for Jesus to get there because they're on task, and because they're on task, they're getting pummeled. And they can't wait for Jesus to get there. So here... In verse 1 of chapter 5, he says, For we know that if the earthly tent which is our house is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. This is the right way to be anticipating the upward call. Why are they groaning? Because they're laboring for Jesus and paying for it. But here... In verse 10, he gives it in a sort of a different picture, a negative. He says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Paul says, you know, some of us, we're after it. We're working so hard, we're just after it. And it is wearing us out. And we get up and we groan. And we wish Jesus would come and get us. Some of us are haphazardly, lazily meandering through life, hoping that Jesus doesn't interrupt our plan by His arrival. And we're pretending that we're not going to give an account. And so when we think through the church, we think of a people who are called out of this world and its ways. Called together in worship and service, in faith, in fellowship. Called upon to take this glorious message of salvation to a world that literally is dying. Called into to make sure that every day we're carrying that out at home and at work and wherever it is God sends us, in the mission field, all with the knowledge we're going to be called up. So Paul says something here that I want us to measure our last moment with. Chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, and we'll close with this. Verse 9. Therefore, also we have as our ambition, whether at home, that means in the body, or absent, that means called up, to be pleasing to Him. And so I just want to ask that. If your life was studied in the big picture, would it be a reflection of the little picture of what we've done today? Would your life be one that was clearly called out of the world? Would it be clearly one that was called together in true fellowship with the saints and with Jesus? Would it be one that really understood you were called upon? Would it be one that really reflected you knew that you were called into the culture to evangelize?
Because my friends and my brothers and sisters, there is nothing you can do to change the fact that you're going to get called out. There's no escaping it. There's no avoiding it. When it's your time, there's no delaying it. And the Apostle Paul talked about his view of the church and he said, Oh, I want to present you as a pure bride to her husband. And so my message to you today has been out of that desire. I want to present you as a pure bride ready for Jesus' arrival. Would you bow with me? I know from being in church all my life that at every gathering there are some people that have never answered that call. They've had this niggling sense inside them that stirring, disturbing. They've sat through invitations. They've heard the gospel. They never answered the call. And I believe that even today, Jesus' voice is calling to someone in this room and saying, come and follow me. Leave this world and follow. And I do believe that He's calling today. A new, a brand new first time call where Jesus is saying, come, leave your sin and leave your selfishness, repent and believe the good news that Jesus Christ died for your sins, was raised from the dead, God in the flesh, King of the world, the universe, and Savior of mankind, Jesus, Son of God. And He's calling you. And He says, come and follow. And today you need to get up and you need to leave your seat and your situation and your sin and your selfishness and you need to follow Jesus today. Others of you, you, you've gotten muddled. Church is no longer a picture of the big part of your life. You never see uh, yourself as called out of the world. You're just comfortable in it. Don't, you don't see yourself as called into fellowship. You just kind of see yourself as getting whatever it is your specific desire is out of church. You don't see yourself as called upon, oh, that's somebody else's task. That's for super Christians. You, You don't see yourself as called back into the world to take this message. And you're missing the church. And the church is missing you. You're needed. You count. Every person in the church counts. Everyone. And so I I want you today to imagine that you're going to get called up real soon. And you'd sure like to get stuff square before that. And that with passion for Jesus, love for God the Father, a zeal for evangelism, and love for the saints and sinners, that you would today say, Lord, reboot this, restart this. Here I am. I'm like Isaiah. Send me. Would you do that today? Would you do that? I believe the Lord would be glorified in that and pleased so that you would finish well regardless of where you've been. You would finish well. Your call may come quicker than you imagine. I want you, I want me, I want us to be ready to be called up. And I want us to get to the point where we long for it and we start praying the prayer of Revelation. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quick. Would you stand? Would you come?
I want to mention a couple of things about the upcoming week uh, before we uh, present the Kendricks. I'm excited about them coming to be with us. Um, there are prayer meetings scheduled for Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and Thursday night. They're on the back of the sermon outline. We printed it very darkly for you today so you could see it well. Sorry about that. I don't know why it came out that way. But the first one is David and Lisa Crane. If you can't read that, the second one is Debbie McKay. Third one is Donnie and Lori Kendrick. See, they're joining and hosting a prayer meeting. That's awesome. Jonathan the Sheriff Forrester on Tuesday. Also, Stephen Linda Ortego. We're here at the church on Wednesday and then Thursday at the Clinton Liz Pollock's in Alexandria. And uh, Sherry and I will be hosting in our home on Thursday as well. So what this is is a prayer meeting just to pray for the upcoming time. We're not serving dinner. We're not laying out the goodies. Just come and let's pray together. Uh, we'll clean the living room and we'll hang out there and we'll pray together and we'll enjoy our fellowship. So please make plans to attend. We've got some various locations. The addresses are on here. Emails are on here as well as contact info for phone numbers if you need to call. Also, there is going to be there are going to be meals every uh, service. Sunday evening at 4, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday evening at 5. Then the services are exactly an hour later. And what I want to encourage you to do is go ahead and take advantage of that and come. We will not be charging for our Wednesday night supper, even though that's kind of listed in the bulletin this week. We'll be charging for our Wednesday night supper. All these meals are free. We will be taking an offering each evening of that service just to offset the extra cost that we have for this. Uh, but this is just a great gathering time. Invite everyone that you know. We will be greatly encouraged. Come together, pray earnestly, set that side of time each evening. And I want to thank you, too, for your sweet generosity and all that you've already done to get ready for this. Love you all. Thank you all. All right. This morning we're welcoming Donnie and Lori Kendrick. Kings, will you guys go ahead and come, come forward? They moved to this area about a year ago, and for the last six months have been faithfully attending and being involved in different groups and things in the area. So go by and welcome them officially to, uh, to Kingsville. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are good, that you are right, righteous, and you're just. Father, we thank you.